This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. This guy left my house dark into the nominal shadow. It was the form of the northern bird of prey known only as the falcon, carrying none other than Val Heffelfinger. They had journeyed south to collect content and carried back to the vast northern wastes. I'll admit I was scared, but intrigued. Frontline Gaming presents 40K Stat Center with your hosts, Val Heffelfinger Heffelfinger. and the Falcon. Highs and lows at the flying monkey caught in Nebraska? This isn't Kansas anymore. What's that sound? It came from downstairs. Ah, it was just the basement open. Did Tal cross the line, or did the Necrons enhance their performance at the Stay in Your Lane GT in San Francisco? The Frontline Gaming Network takes to Hawaii in the Throne of War GT. Ohana may mean family, but someone always gets left behind. When is war a Warhammer event like going for a 2.4 mile swim, a 112 mile bicycle ride, and a 26.22 mile run? The answer? Never. But they called it the Master City Major and Iron Man anyway. And we whittle words of wisdom with the wily wogging warriors at the Windy City GT. Alex Harrison continues to be the only person who wins tournaments in the UK at a point cost that Peter doesn't care about. <laughs> yes, it was another insane weekend of competitive 40k. Are you alive, Peter? I understand you have to do a lot of math. It, it has been a trying couple of days, but I get back to work tomorrow, and with that, I hope to get us fully updated and uh, ready to move on in this weird meta that we're shifting into. Oh, shifting into a wild and weird meta. That, uh, that, that seems a little intriguing. Any tidbits, something you've been noticing? Well, I mean, we talked about it a little bit on uh, Chapter Tactics a couple of weeks back, um, the rise of the Lord Discordance, uh, the rise of Adeptus Custodes in general, um, a lot of Custodes lists making top performances, mostly on the back of the Caladius, the downfall of Astra Militarum outside of tank commanders. There's lots of new things out there, and I'm pretty excited for what we're seeing. Yeah, the Lord Discordance, uh, I think our, our listeners are going to find out, are a, a reoccurring theme in tonight's show. Um, but uh, before we get into that, we got we got kind of a, a little bit of bittersweet to go over. Uh, do you, do you want to you want to lead into this one? Yeah. So um, in in what would I would say is is extremely disappointing news. Uh, friend of the podcast, uh, amazing overall person, number one player in the ITC, both as a as an actual competitive player and on the hobby track. Jim Vessel lost his army um, this last weekend. Um, it was uh, reportedly stolen from the Toronto Pearson Airport while he was uh, purchasing a water, and it was just beside his feet. Yeah, he uh, literally looked away for a second, and the next thing you know, it was gone. Anyone who knows Jim or has uh, encountered his army would know that, you know, he's he was definitely a hobbyist first, and that army had hundreds of hours uh, put into it for sure. Um, I, know, I know it's just things, and there are worse things that can happen, but short of those terrible things, I mean, losing something that you've poured so much effort into... Um, or having it stolen from you is, is, is just terrible. And 
almost immediately, like uh, I'd say within minutes um, of him posting about it on on Facebook, because that's pretty much all he was able to do from the airport. Um, no, there's a unfortunate anyway. What <laughs> Pearson <laughs> Pearson security wasn't very helpful to say the least. Um, and uh, but who was helpful was the the wider meta. I mean, there were people uh, all over. I gotta assume the planet with their eyes peels for that army. Um, uh, you know, and uh, and Jim actually had shared. Uh, just a couple a uh, couple words uh, that he wanted to, to share um, arising from this experience. So I'm going to play that right now. Hey guys, this is Jim here. Um, as many of you guys know, um, I got my army stolen from Toronto Pearson International Airport yesterday. Um, I did not lose it. It was literally stolen from about a foot from me. Uh, I was distracted by a gentleman. Uh, he asked me a question. I turned, turned back to look at my bag and it was gone. Um, I have obviously expended all possibilities, um, but the reason I wanted to get on here today was just to send out a huge, huge thank you to everyone in the community for reaching out in the last 24 hours. Um, the response from the community has been incredibly humbling, and honestly, like it's really, really taken the sting off what's been um, a really tough 24 hours. Uh, I poured about two years of my heart and soul into that army. As many of you guys may or may not know, it's you know it's a very well-painted army to a very high standard. Um, it's won me many, many tournaments, and um, I'm going to miss it a lot. And so I wanted to thank a few people, starting with basically everyone in Toronto that was on the ground, that was making phone calls, dumpster diving. Some people actually, um, you know, called people they knew at the TSA to see if, uh, you know, they had found my bag. I was on a plane ride home, and I couldn't really do anything for about five hours, crying myself to sleep. I also really want to thank, um, you know, everyone on the, um, a lot of other people have, message me to lend models um, my ATC team has been really helpful a lot of people have offered to send me models so I want to thank everyone there especially who I really want to thank is um, Jack Daniel Morris from Red Dragon in Ottawa and Sequence Comics in Brockville uh, between him and Games Workshop they've offered to fully replace almost my entire army so they're gonna be sending me a replacement army and I also really want to uh, thank Creature Caster uh, for sending me uh, replacement models and I'm hoping to be back on my feet Pretty soon, I'm going to work as hard as I can and be ready to go uh, for the rest of the season. So, Really, really tough break for, for Jim. I mean, probably the most famous army in 40K right now got stolen at Pearson. Yeah, it's absolutely brutal. Um, my heart sank when I read his message on Facebook because, I mean, I've seen that army in person. I've, I've talked to Jim quite a bit. He's such a great person, like, in general. And uh, to have this happen um, to, like, such a paragon in our community, it sucks always when you hear about someone's army getting stolen or destroyed in some weird fashion. But but uh, this one hit a little closer to home, yeah, I think. Literally. He was, uh, he was at my city's airport. So uh, sorry about that one, Jimbo. And, um, yeah, uh, we'll have some more coverage about the tournament he was uh, returning home from. I believe he managed a 5-1, and one, uh, but we'll be actually talking to the winner of that one later on in the show. Uh, before we get on to our tournament news, just wanted to uh, maybe plug a couple things. Uh, one thing that uh, a little bird has been into me about is actually the upcoming um, American Team Championship. Um, there's going to be some really interesting coverage, some... Um, from uh, some some folks who have done some Twitch streaming for esports in the past, um, and we're just sort of uh, looking to spread a few more details about that as we approach the event. So keep your eyes peeled for that, and we'll definitely give some more specifics on it in the future. Um, a, a shameless plug from from Old Half running the TGX Tabletop Gaming Expo. You can find it at www.tabletopgamingx.com in Toronto, Ontario. Kind of, it's actually in Mississauga near our 
Pearson Airport. Um, <laughs> uh, that one's on <laughs> July 20th. Uh, we are sitting right around 50 players right now, so we're sort of on that cusp of, uh, of majordom. It'd be great. That's about roughly where we, uh, we, where we actually um, got to last year. So hopefully with a final push, we can actually hit the, the major numbers that we've been sort of chasing for a few years. That's awesome. And I mean, we would be remiss not to talk about uh, Capital City Bloodbath in mid-August there in Ottawa, Canada. Both Val and I will be there, although I don't believe either of us are playing. Uh, we've uh, signed on to help uh, do a little bit of commentating on the event. This is the dumbest idea I've ever had. Like, we're going to, we're going to a Warhammer. We're, you're traveling across the, the continent, and, and I'm, you know, inconvenienced. And we're just, we're just going to hang out and talk about games. Who, who are we doing it with? Um, I believe his name is, um, oh, what's it? Something uh, like the Lying War Gamer. Yeah. I don't know. He's a British funny guy. Greasy hair. Gre so. Super greasy. Like, you'd think he'd wash every now and then. <laughs> Beautiful beard, though. I give him the beard. He's got a better beard than I do. So he can wiggle through all those chimneys when he's sweeping them. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, yes, we're going to be doing commentary with uh, Rob yes. from The Honest Wargamer. Um, Michael Scott is also going to be assisting us and not from The Office, like he uh, has mm -hmm. to remind everyone. Uh, yeah, and uh, I believe Scrivo is coming also from The Honest Wargamer, uh, sort of a, a sidekick yeah. to Rob. They're a package deal at the hip. You have to take them both. You can't just get one. And then they're, they're going to do a wild adventurous tour through, uh, through central Canada, as, as they used to call it uh, afterwards. But enough rambling. I think it's time that we stop... Uh, teasing our listeners and we uh, we jump into it tournament news is made possible by bestcoastpairings.com download the bcp to app to organize events for just about any tabletop game system download the player app to easily find and participate in events from around the world around the world subscribe to bcp for as little as five dollars a month to support the team and unlock additional features available for ios and android bestcoastpairings.com competitive events easier flying monkey con is our first event up on the uh, on the docket it was 80 players. It was ITC format. Took place in the beautiful Drury Hotel in uh, Wichita, Kansas, where the ornery dudes from the Flying Monkeys podcast once again spread their wings for a charitable cause and brought together a larger portion of the Midwest with them. Once again, Bam Bam and crew put on a beautiful showing brimming with meals, drinks, and dice. And let's hear from the man himself, Bam Bam. So the Flying Monkey was initially founded by a guy named Troy Graber. Troy Graber's a local guy to Wichita, and uh, he started it four years ago, and it was originally at a place called the Hyatt. Uh, two years ago, he turned it over to Duncan and uh, Matt and myself, and we took over running it. So this is basically the fourth year of the Monkey, but the second year of the tournament team as far as us running it. As to the venue, we have a super cool venue, actually. It's a historic hotel in downtown Wichita. It sits right on the river. And uh, so people, players can stay there at the hotel and just walk downstairs and play their games. It's a place called the Jury. And uh, the Jury is, you know, it's like been around since Wichita's been around. So it's really a, a cool, super neat venue. There's stuff nearby for the family to do. And uh, we really like being there. And we'll probably be back there next year again. Actually, this year we expanded and took up more of the Jury. And uh, we couldn't be more happier with the venue. The venue goes really well, really smooth. And they work with us on stuff. We had over 80 players. Uh, we probably could have sold 100 tickets. Uh, we will shoot for 100 next year. We were over 80 this year. 
you know, all events like this at that size and that scale to have a clear winner and just to see the meta being what it was, we're really happy with how it turned out. Uh, Lord Discordants are a thing. So if you're out there list building, uh, you need to have an idea of what a Lord Discordant is capable of and what it can do. Uh, it was super cool to see Chaos being back on the tables. A lot of tables, you know, Demons had a good presence. Uh, the meta's pretty neat. It's different than what it was last year. You know, last year, Knights were on every table. Knights were everywhere. And uh, this year, it just seems like a lot of players had a lot of different stuff. And there were a lot of good records out of different styles of list. And that's that's super cool for 40K. I think our tournament, the meta, is pretty much the Midwest. You know, it's a lot of the Midwest guys. You know, Omaha, Minnesota, Kansas, uh, Missouri, Texas, Oklahoma. Uh, well, pretty much the middle of the United States. A lot of guys attend and hit a lot of these tournaments because they're within driving distance. So that's pretty much what you'll see. Uh, we had a really good mix of stuff this year. We had Knights. We had Chaos. Uh, we had different Yanari lists. Uh, we had Custodes all over the place. Um, it's pretty interesting to see that we did have a good diversity of lists, and that made us really happy. You know, we did have to enforce some things from the ITC Code of Conduct. We did have a player that was DQ'd for three violations, and uh, it's hard to do that as a tournament organizer, but you have to do that to maintain the integrity of the event. Okay, so there was uh, Bam Bam giving us a nice deep background on the flying monkey con uh you can listen to their podcast uh i believe it's just the flying monkeys podcast am i right peter you are 100 percent correct and uh and if you are looking for further information on what happened at the event that led to the disqualification that bam bam talked about we're not going to get any deeper into that we're just going to stick to some of the uh the uh results of the event but uh you can check it out the tos have actually uh disclosed quite a lot about their decisions that that, that they made and the player involved has also uh, offered up some thoughts from what I understand, uh, this week on the Flying Monkey uh, podcast, or at least very soon, the player as well as the TOs, and I assume some other folks will be uh, talking about the event and, and what went down. So if you're into that side of it, go to the horse's mouth, Bam Bam's mouth. So yeah, so now as Bam Bam mentioned, uh, there was a pretty wide diversity of lists at the con. However, it did stray a little bit from the uh, beaten path. If we look at where the meta has been shaping up post-FAQ, um, Knights are still the predominant faction at uh, just over 10%, and the Mon and Flying Monkey Con was was no different. While Bam Bam did say he, he didn't feel like he saw uh, a lot of Knights, they did make up 10% of the field. What's interesting, though, is where they, where they separated was uh, what came next. Tau Empire um, also made up 10% of the field. They were eight of the lists in the 80-person event, which is about double yeah. what you're currently seeing. Um like uh, worldwide um, and guard were only 3% of the meta compared to the almost eight that they currently are uh, around the world. So there was a little bit of a difference there. We, we haven't seen Tau with a lot of like success and we're going to, we're going to see some of that today as well. Um, you know, do you think maybe um, this was Tau players reacting to that, that, that like GT or is it maybe just, you know, that meta shifting? Cause I mean, a double up in field percentages, a pretty big deal. Have you seen the, a larger representation of Tau outside of this tournament? Yes. So across the board, we're seeing uh, more and more Tau starting to sprout up. It's actually kind of been more of a slow increase, I would say. Um, if you look pre-FAQ, they were starting to build up. They were down in the 3 to 4% range, and they went up to 5. They stayed steady at 6 for a while. Um, in post-FAQ, they're now in the 7, 8, 9, and now 10% range at a lot of events. 
Um, it's a very strong faction right now. Uh, post FAQ, uh, they've had a lot of success with a varied amount of lists. Uh, we've talked about a few of them, and we're going to talk about more of them today. Um, Crisis Suits have made a comeback. Uh, Mech Tau has definitely made a comeback, and it's it's showing up more and more frequently. Um, so I think it's it's a combination of factors, but I th- but most importantly, I think it's the people are realizing just how strong overall Tau is mm. um, as a competitive faction, and they're and they're moving into it. So uh, where the lists may have deviated slightly from the current norm in terms of overall representation, uh, they didn't deviate so much at the top. Uh, Trainer Wolf ran Triple Lord Discordance, and he went up against Jeremiah Pettit, or Petit, as we say in Canada, and his Triple Caladius list at at the top table. You can catch the stream via uh, Iron Halo TV on Twitch to see just how that game went down, along with five other fully commented uh, games by the TOs and several podcast personalities, including uh, the TFG radio team. I believe Adam and John were both there not sure if danny uh, re- uh, recorded anything uh, i wouldn't be surprised though um but val did you want to take a shot at going over one of the lists okay absolutely so why don't we uh why don't we start with jeremiah's list you know this is a good one for old half it's nice and short it's custodies we got an adeptus custodies battalion the warlord was a shield captain on bike with uh with the interceptor lance obviously arc achilles and ambisercordia uh and then we had trahan valoris uh, as the second HQ. Under the Elites, we had a Vexilla Praetor um, and uh, carrying the Vexilla Magnifica. Under Troops, we had um, looks to be five Custodian Guards uh, with one uh, with the Storm Shield and four with the Spears, and then two units of three Custodian Guards with um, the Blades and Storm Shield. Under Fast Attack, we had, of course, the aforementioned uh, three Grav, um, Palace Grav Attack with twin Arachnus Blaze Cannons. And then in heavy support, we had three Caladius Grav Tanks with twin Elastius Accelerator Cannon and twin Lastrum Bolt Cannon. Peter, those are some funny words. They are. And that's what Custodes does to you. It makes you talk in weird ways, just like most of this game. Um, true, actually. Good job, Val. You, you did your best. Uh, I bungled that so badly. Why don't we get Jeremiah to just, you know, pipe up about his list and tell us what it was all about. Here to answer a couple of questions about my army in particular for the weekend. First and foremost, pure custodes. No filler, all quality entertainment. All of my troops are dangerous. They're obsec. You can't tie them up with little things. If the army has powerful, reliable shooting coming from the tanks, the tanks are disruptive to a horde meta, relying on deep strike strategies and able to push them back and counteract many of the buffs that allow them to dig in deep real fast. And a solid counter to Eldari Flyers, being able to hit them on solid numbers with strong guns and look good doing it. For the MVP for the weekend for my army, people would expect me to say the Caladius Grav Tanks, and while they were the backbone of my army, inevitably most games they went down. So in their shadow was the palace grav attacks, consistently grabbing the objectives, putting out a surprising amount of firepower that was able to siphon the tanks and combine their fire, even able to take down hordes of light infantry, enough for me to be able to pull the victory as I was able to achieve. All right, thanks, Jeremiah. So many well-spoken 40K nerds out there, I gotta say. I'm impressed. Yeah, I'm pretty excited by it. And one thing uh, that we should mention is uh, Jeremiah really didn't get a whole lot of credit for it, but he did take a similar, if not the exact same list uh, to Bug Eater GT a few weeks ago and, mm-hmm. and did win it there as well. So this isn't his first time at a top table at a, at a GT or better. Rocking the pure custodes or monofaction custodes, if we're using the style guide. All right, so you wanted to, you, you were you were frothing at the bit here. You really want to talk about trainers list. Uh, another well-spoken 40k player, I'll point out, 
Um, why don't Why don't you read us through it? Because I'm I'm thinking this is going to be a unique list that's going to blow our minds. Yeah. So here we go. Are you ready? Do you, do you hold on to something there? I'm holding on to my butt. So, Trainer Wolf, Flying Monkey Gun, Spearhead Detachment, The Purge. He brought a Sorcerer with Jump Pack and Force Axe, two Hellforge Contemptor Dreadnoughts with Double Butcher Cannons and Havoc Launchers, and three Hellforged Derradeo Dreadnoughts, all with Butcher Cannons and Greater Havoc Launchers. He then brought a Chaos Undivided uh, Chaos Demons Battalion with a Corn uh, Demon Prince, a Poxbringer, Two units of 10 Brimstone Horrors and a squad of 27 Plague Bearers. And finally, he had a Supreme Command Detachment, the Flawless Host, uh, using the Specialist Detachment, the Soul Forged Pack. In it, he had three Lord Discordants on Hellstalkers with auto cannons. And that is actually a little bit different. It, it kind of went a little bit more the, the Hoosin way. Am I, am I being ignorant in saying that? Like a lot more of the Dreads and that Purge approach? So, yeah, so it is a, a little similar to Hoosin. Uh, he did uh, bring the demon detachment, which Hoosin was not. Uh, Hoosin instead went for just more dreadnoughts, mm -hmm. along with the uh, three Heldricks. Uh, and uh, Hoosin's uh, Lord Discordants were all the purge. He focused completely on trying to get that uh, that chapter tactic to, to go off, whereas... Uh, Trainer here is relying a lot on these Lord Discordance's flawless host being able to get that you know forty some odd inch move and still charge that opening turn uh, to get right in your face while still having uh, a backup of the of the plague bearers that can act as a really good screen to the rest of his uh, shooting. Absolutely terrifying. Let's uh, flip over to Trainer and he's gonna go over his list too. The biggest thing with my list has to be that it combines a lot of elements in the Chaos faction that are very strong. Like, Purge Dorito Dreadnoughts are incredibly efficient at steady firepower. Like, the fact that they can reroll any hit roll, not just misses, makes them incredibly accurate against any negative-to-hit modifiers, such as Plague Bearers and Eldar Planes. Um, Plague Bearers are the best screen in the game, and currently I could use them to, like, eat a lot of charges and be able to withstand overly aggressive strategies that my opponent might employ. Um, they also help me control the board and win the mission. Um, Flawless Host Lord Discordance with the Demon Forge stratagems can pop like a ton of extra attacks that are very likely to kill whatever I charge them at. I have a Sorcerer for one of the best spells in the game, and that is Warp Time. And I finally have that Corn Demon Prince that could hide behind the Plague Bearers and provide spot removal for me, and can take out that last big thing if anything can withstand everything else in my list. Overall, the list is very hard to table. My MVP had to be my Corn Prince. Um, he was only lackluster in one game. And that was my round five game against Tao. Um, he's been able to outright delete units all weekend. The best part with him is that I can engage with him on my terms, since he hides behind 27 Plague Bearers for most of the game. Like, I could just, like, fly him out and, like, kill something if I want to. Um, if the trade's good for me, like, he'll kill a Riptide, he'll kill a Knight, um, stuff like that. Um, a lot of the times he could, like, remove something that's near my Plague Bearers, that charge my Plague Bearers, and then he could still hide behind the screen after he kills something, so... I necessarily don't have to even, like, trade him. And he kind of forces my opponent to kill the Plague Bearers so they could actually maybe get to him, like, later in the game. Um, you also, like, can't approach my Blob if he's in the middle of it. Um, because, like, if you do, he could just fly forward and kill whatever gets near it. Well, for one, Don is a good player, and his list has an awesome foundation to it. The threat overload in his list was absurd. But I'm more of a reactive player. I like mid-range lists with a lot of tools. So I wanted a screen and I wanted warp time. Uh, Discords are incredibly powerful with warp time. 
you can usually just delete something with one uh, with one turn one with a discordant like by warp timing it. Um, the discordant's also something your opponent has to kill if it's like in his face after I like you know warp time it forward and it kills something. Um, prescience also gives the list some like utility and it lets the discordants like pop extra attacks on boards instead of five. Um, Flawless host discordants are also way more killy than any other legion. Um, Plague Bears also let me go second in some games and take a charge in the face. And they also control the board against, like, gun lines. And they also score me recon and hold more if my opponent plays KG to avoid the discordance. I love his use of the term disco. Yeah, that seems to be the new trend. And, uh, he's hopped onto it with, uh, with, with Glee. One might say reckless abandon. <laughs> I like that one better. Now, uh, Trainer was also recorded at the end of the event as saying that he wanted to specifically play this list at least once before um, all the units in it got nerfed into the ground. Uh, their final match ended up being an absolute nightmare as Jeremiah got to see firsthand just the kind of quality blender Flawless Host Discordance can be. Uh, I guess we'll we'll kick this one over to Jeremiah first and then over to Trainer for uh, for his wrap-up thoughts. In the final game against Trainor, the big turning point, turn one, when I disrespected the Lord, did not give him the proper respect, and for that, he brought to you authentic Minnesotan cuisine, shield captain on a stick. The next big turning point was honestly turn two, when my five-man squad failed to, came in, made their charge for the first time when they came down whole event, Failed to kill the Lord Discordant there, leaving a three wounds. And for that, they paid for the hubris in losing three of their men. The Minnesotan cuisine. Smash Captain on a stick. That's uh that's some I didn't know that. Maybe that was in the deleted scenes of Fargo. I must have missed it. Uh let's get on over to trainer. The turning point had to be my turn one. Uh warp timing a soul forge pack discordant lets it move like twenty eight inches, advance twice, and then still charge. Um, the Dreadnoughts are excellent excellent screen clears, so they could usually just remove whatever's in the way of the Discordant that I warp time forward, so he could get right into whatever juicy stuff he wants to kill. In that game, he charged a Shield Captain on turn one on a bike, and popped 15 attacks on just his Chain Glaive alone, and killed the Bike Captain. He suffered some wounds, then Valoris charged him and failed to kill him. So I counterattacked and killed Valoris with that same Discordant. Um, my Dreadnoughts also damaged a Caladius tank really bad. And my opponent suffered way too heavy of a blow by losing both of those HQs on that turn that I was able to down like Caladius really easily after that. I thought it was going to be close if I went second and his Caladius blew away a Dreadnought or two. But luckily for me, I went first, spiked a good roll with that Discordant, and removed his reroll hits and wounds with Valoris. It's a shame. It really is. Um, you can, like I said earlier, you can catch clips of the game online at, on Twitch, uh, Iron Halo TV. Uh, that game in particular, I did watch uh, probably the first... 30 minutes of it and then i just i had to shut it off i was i felt so much shame uh for the custodies and uh it really hurt my heart it wasn't wasn't anything that jeremiah did of course it's just well no other than leaving his he left his shield captain a little too far out but that is it's still a new thing to the meta some people are still learning just how devastating that thing can be and uh, it's not a mistake he'll make again that's for sure no sir and that's it. That's our major for the week. I guess uh, just after the bump here, we're going to hit up a, a fairly decently sized GT. Tournament news. So next up, we have the Basement Open, a 50-player ITC tournament. As Theodore Roosevelt once said, 
some men can live up to their loftiest ideals without ever going higher than the basement. Ah, Sudbury, Ontario. The Canadian Shield. The mining industry. The environmental devastation. A town that would be considered north in any context other than the province of Ontario. Sudbury has suddenly become a home to a pair of tournaments bigger than a gigantic novelty nickel. The former YouTube sensations and twin broskies, Kevin and Irvin Armitage, have been hosting GTs deep in the underground for the past two years. To shed some light where the sun don't shine, we hand it off to Kevin, or possibly Irvine. We're not quite sure. Irvin, we're also not sure about that. Hey guys, we are the Basement Collective. We're from Sudbury, Ontario, Canada, which is about four hours north of Toronto. Anyways, we just ran our second ever major, our annual major, called the Basement Open. We saw why it's not really a major. We saw 52 people register and show up. We would have had over a major if we didn't have any drops, but at last, that's the uh, 40K in the War of Attrition. But anyways, we just had a great time in Sudbury, Ontario. Um, the Basement Collective started off as a YouTube channel. We do have a YouTube page. We no longer make videos as life just kind of got in the way. But now it has more evolved into a gaming club. We host uh, this major singles tournament, and then we also host 80-person uh, doubles tournament, which uh, sorry, not doubles, the ETC team-style tournament, which we're going to host in October, it's looking like this year. Those dropouts, man. Always bringing down things. Bunch of wankers. Guys, if you sign up for a tournament, show up. Who cares about your kids or your wife or your dog or all those important things? Warhammer. You make a very valid point. I like. I, I don't have kids, but I really love my wife and my dogs. Anyway, on to their second quote from perhaps Kevin or maybe Irvin. So for the basement open, this was the second year we ran it. The first year we actually ran it was a major. The second year we ran it um, was uh, we ended up with 51 people that played this year, plus a ringer, so 52. So it was a great turnout. We have people from all around Ontario. We had people like uh, Devin Swan. We had a lot. It attracts a lot of Canadians. So Jim Vassell was there. Um, it was an all-around good turnout. We also attract some people from North eastern united states the new york area uh, bu uh buffalo area we had the guys some beef and wings so it was a great overall event uh we look forward to hosting it again next year um devin swan was the winner in best general in bcp i should say and uh, jim vassal did win overall so we do see a mix of uh really competitive players compared to the local not so competitive players but overall it was a great event <sighs> Thank you for blowing the lead, maybe, Irvin, or possibly Kevin. But yes, you heard it right. The Terror of Toronto, Devin Swan, managed to run the tables and claim the title of BO champion. Somewhere in the distance, a warhound titan howls, and a 30k player dies a thousand deaths. So uh, we touched on the list a little bit last week when he ran it at the Hooded Goblin, but here it is in full detail. Did you want another go, Val? Or, or... I'm doing it. I'm doing okay. it. It's Tau. I speak Tau. I can handle this. We got a battalion detachment. So we touched on this one last week, but uh, you know, this week we're going to really dive in. Uh, it's the Seiya Stepped Shock. That, that's actually a bit of a wrinkle uh, with uh, Cadra Fireblade uh, HQ and another Cadra Fireblade HQ. It's got three strike teams, uh, each uh, armed with a marker light on the Shazui. Under the elites, we've got three fireside marksmen. So that's basically your efficient marker light detachment. Uh, next, we have an, a Tau Sept Airwing with three Sunshark Bombers. 
Um, I don't know if there's any any like actual options here, but it's two missile pods, uh, two interceptor drones, and two seeker missiles. Finally, we have a spearhead de detachment, also Tau Sept, uh, led by a Kadra Fireblade and his pal Longstrike. Uh, we got Dayak Grek in the elite section, and under heavy support, we've got three hammerhead gunships and three skyray gunships, all loaded up with seeker missiles as much as they can be for a total of 1999 points. Good job. I'm proud of you. You know, that was awesome. And Sunshark Bombers do have an option. They can take one missile pod instead of two. Damn it. Devin with the list tech. All right. Um, so yeah, we were talking about this. I mean, this is uh this is an, an example of a mech tau list. Have you, uh, aside from last week, is, is this popping up? You did say that you have been seeing mech tau around. Yes. I'm seeing a lot more mech tau, although the sun shark bomber is almost exclusive, uh, to Devon. Uh, the triple sky ray, triple hammerhead with long strike is definitely a thing that's showing up more and more frequently at events. Um, it's getting a little bit of talk also at uh, Knights of the Game Table. That's uh, their Tau discussions often now center around Mech Tau. Um, it's just kind of, you know, a, another uh, list and a long line of lists we're seeing from di from different factions that are making the most out of multiple threat vectors, as uh, Daniel Olavas would say. Um, Chills down my spine. <laughs> I mean, the sheer amount of seeker missiles in this list is incredible. Devin will probably explain this way better than I ever could. But, uh, man, those sky rays really can work a number in a in an Eldar flyer Heavy meta, for sure. And um, I mean, Devin did turn in perhaps the worst recordings we'd ever received uh, the last time uh, we asked him for comments. So let's go to the tape and see what he had to say for himself this week. Uh, so what's special about the list? Um, pretty much, it's like a basically it's a very high volume, a very accurate shooting uh, on very durable platforms for their cost at least that can't be locked down in combat because everything has fly. Um, so that's pretty much the whole premise of it. It, it shoots you a lot very well. Uh, and also, probably the MVP unit for the weekend, same as last time, was Dayak Grek. <laughs> this weekend, his kill count, he got, uh, he got the last wounds off of a knight in my first game. He killed a knight spinner that had one wound left. Um, yeah, the guy just, it's just the most unexpected thing of, oh, you have this guy who's almost dead, and now he's dead, you can't use him. So... Yeah, he's just the still the best 20 points I've ever spent on a unit in this whole edition, probably. If you play Tau, take Grack, he's really good. All right, so we're a little bit better there. I mean, we could understand what he was saying. They were cogent thoughts and uh, didn't get cut off at the end. So let's uh, maybe delve a little further with him. Uh, most important game at the event probably would have been round five. Uh, that was the, uh, the three Crash Crusaders and a... Uh, Rust tank commander and that kind of army. Um, so he went first, which sucked a lot. Because <laughs> uh, getting shot by three Crash Crusaders just right out of the gate is terrible. Um, but I did find out, and this is why the game is so important, that I can actually take a round of shooting from a Rust tank commander and three Crash Crusaders and only lose like one and a half Sky Rays. So that was very encouraging for me going forward. Um, yeah, so my opponent, he rolled hot on some things, but his first night Crusader kind of rolled like crap, and he failed a 3d6 rehobable charge on a Blood Angel Smash Captain, uh, so that didn't go too well for him, and then afterwards I picked up two and a half knights in my first turn, and that was basically the game right there. So, yeah, I found that I could go second against Crash Crusaders and still win, which 
Um, so yeah, so the final question that I actually posed to him was obviously last week he was playing this list at, uh, or maybe the week before, at uh, the Hooded Goblin GT, also in the neighborhood, and uh, just wanted to ask him what the difference is, because for, for a, a monster of a man that is Devin Swan, you know, a two-loss weekend, it's not a good weekend. He's uh, going to go pick on some innocent people after that, so uh, I wanted to ask him what made the difference um, going up north to Sudbury this weekend. Uh, so what made the difference um, between this tournament and the last one? So I heard a goblin, I went 4-2, which was okay, but not great. Uh, that was also really my first time playing the list, so there were a couple learning pains and certain things I probably could have done better in certain matchups, uh, especially the ones I lost. Uh, I think the big difference between Basement and Goblin was that I had more experience with the list for this event, so... When I got put into disadvantageous situations, um, like for example, three Crash Crusaders with first turn, I think I knew how to handle it a lot better. Um, so I think my decisions that I was able to make when I was down a little bit at certain points uh, were definitely better. Uh, deployment, I feel like I did that a lot better. Uh, just just a bunch of like really little minor things that um, like really add up to really you know make make the difference in a situation where. Like, you're not really in a good place. All right, so Peter, what do we think about Devin's comments? Well, I really don't know what to say. Uh, this man is uh, a terrifying individual, both in person and online. Um, the fact uh, that all he needed to do was play, you know, an extra three games to get a list down pat uh, is absolutely scary to me. That is uh, terrifying, and that lets you know what we're dealing with around here. Let's hit a bump. Tournament news. Next up, the Stay in Your Lane GT, an ITC format event with 43, 43 players. And we take you to San Francisco, or more accurately, Antioch, California which is about as close to San Francisco as I am right now. So this was the first event by tournament organizer Dustin Lane, and um, I totally would have gotten the play on words in the event title sooner had we remembered to actually reach out to him for comments. So sincere apologies on that one, Dustin, and congrats on the successful first event. Streaking to the top table on day two were a Tau player in crisis and a Necron player who seemed, well, you heard him at the top of the show. Yes, and in case you guys uh, weren't paying attention, uh, Mr. Tempe was uh, our cold open this week. Uh, had to be included. One of my favorite uh, bits that someone has sent us so far. Very creative. It felt it felt like you actually scripted that. It really does, but, I mean, if you've talked to Michael ever at all, you realize that everything he says sounds scripted, but it's just because he's a mad genius. Not just in, in, his, uh, in his home life, but also in the Warhammer world. All right, well... We're going to leave uh, us all wondering what's going on in his home life and read the list because I'm on a roll. Michael Tempe, probably. Sontek uh, Airwing with three Doom Scythes. We got a Nikolak Spearhead with a Cryptic with Cloak, who's the Warlord. Nine Scarabs, nine Tomb Blades with Tesla, Shield Veins, and Nebuloscope. Three De Doomsday Arcs and a Nikolak Super Heavy Auxiliary with a Tesseract Vault. Holy crap, a Tesseract Vault. Yeah, oh, yeah, out. that Nickelback Super Heavy Auxiliary. <laughs> Super heavy auxiliary. Um, no, he's not the guy. Actually, Brian Pollan is a, is a transplanted Canadian, not 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 uh, not Michael. No, so, um, but Michael and I do have something in common, so that makes him partially Canadian, and that is that we both live in fear of fire all of the time. That's true. 
that's true. Wildfires are a big deal where he's from as well. Let's uh, let's let him talk about his list a little bit. Everyone immediately notices the awkward glory of the Tesseract Vault. It is impossible to ignore, considering that it is larger than most terrain pieces on the board. But I want to point out the pretty severe compromises I had to make. Necron melee is substandard, so in this list, I didn't bother. Our troops are slow and not especially durable, so I didn't take any. We have a hard time getting command points, so I didn't try. Once you give up on melee, board control, objective secured, and command points, it focuses your list quite nicely. Gotta get rid of all that extraneous stuff, you know? Yeah, like, you know, three quarters of the game. Let's just not do it. It's very similar to playing Tau, actually. So let's, let's hear what he says about his MVP, I think. The MVP award in my list goes to the Doomsides and Doomsday Arcs. They are the core of a lot of Necron lists, and it is clear why. They are mobile and durable workhorses. There is a reason you see them so often. Though it does limit list building because you need three Doomsides and at least two Doomsday Arcs, it is better to have a mandatory option than no options at all. Just ask any Grey Knights player. I mean, if you can find one. We've only ever found one. And he's very far away from us. Finally, I did ask him that it does seem like, and I mean, I don't want to jinx anything here, but like Necrons seem to have some semi-relevance all of a sudden in a quasi kind of way. And I asked him why he thought that might be. The dominance of the Necron race is foretold and written in the stars. Why fight inevitability? But in all seriousness, you see a lot less Castellans now, which could easily pick up two of our vehicles a turn. In addition, GSC and Orcs are doing better, which is infantry with bad saves. That's a thing we can kill a lot of. And if everything in your Necron list has the fly keyword, they can't trap you in melee. I also think having the fewest unit choices in the game for any faction which can't ally helps because you end up playing the same ten or so things in every game, meaning lots of practice. Uh, my new favorite, my new favorite interviewer. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I still think Michael Hamilton is number one, but he's definitely Michael number two in my book. I feel I feel like they're both as, as you know, uh, resigned to their situation. It's coming from a similar place of futility. I love it. It, it is pretty incredible. I will say uh, we do we should give a big shout out to uh, Michael's uh, podcast, The High Lords of Terra. It's an amazing podcast with some really quality episodes out there devoted to uh, one of them things being devoted to uh, Necron gameplay. So uh, and it's not the only thing they talk about, but uh, anyway, they're a bunch of swell guys. It's a really well put together podcast. You guys should give it a listen if you have the chance. Excellent plug for uh, The High Lords of Terra, which is a podcast I have actually meant to listen to for many years now well i was their first guest so i i feel obligated uh but anyway we digress why don't you uh exercise those reading balls by that i mean those eyes okay well yeah so next up we had brian pullen uh and uh, you might say he had been pulling off a miracle all weekend running a much beloved but rarely seen unit choice he starts off he's got a tau set battalion with shadow sun and an ethereal Three minimum strike teams, three riptides, all three with heavy burst cannons, two of them with velocity trackers, one of them with a drone controller, all three running advanced targeting systems. He then had an outrider detachment with a uh, triple cyclic ion blaster commander in an XV-8 crisis suit, uh, as well running an ATS. And then uh, the, the PS de la Resistance here. A crisis uh, suitless uh, unit of five uh, crisis suits, 
four of which had three cyclic ion blasters, uh, one of which had two and a drone controller, along with ten gun drones. And then he had uh, three units of six shield drones and three marker drones. Well, all right then. Did you say three minimum units of crisis suits? Uh, by that, I mean one five-man unit of crisis suits. Why don't we find out from the guy who knows what's up? And I would say that my Tau list is pretty typical, but uh, instead of the broadsides that I used to take, I just try to, decided to sub in five crisis suits with ion blasters. Um, I also brought them with 10 gun drones, and this is pretty new for me. And uh, I really, really like this change uh, after, after dropping the broadsides for the crisis, and uh, I don't think I'm going to be going back. The, the crisis were uh, unbelievable. Um, they were definitely my MVP for the weekend. Uh, this unit puts out 42 strength 8 shots, and uh, they were really just uh, very dangerous. They could take out any target I wanted. The ability to start them on the board or deep strike them and move them every turn uh, meant that they were really a big threat. And the 10 gun drones were also fantastic because they came down at full strength. The, the big thing I'd want to say about the crisis suits for me was with the recent change to the fly keyword, uh, it means it's, it's easier than ever for people to tag things like broadsides. And for me, broadsides were increasingly becoming a liability in my list. Uh, they don't move. They, uh, they're really short, so they don't get great line of sight. And they're really susceptible to tagging them. About half my opponents, that would be their main plan, just try to tag them. And the crisis suits put out similar, I would even say sometimes more dangerous firepower than the broadsides, and they have so many more options. They can't be tagged, they can deep strike, they can move around every single turn, so they work really, really great. And um, this is coming from the absolute Mr. Rogers of uh, Warhammer 40k and Brian Pullen. Scarborough native. Yeah. I've only ever seen him once without a sweater vest on, and um, I was shocked, um, but excited. Does he have a YouTube channel? Is he that guy? He does. He's that uh, guy? Yes. Oh, wow. He is that guy. Tabletop Titans, uh, <laughs> probably the best uh, best recorded uh, Warhammer footage anybody's put out in terms of tutorials. Just su such a good production value. Unfortunately, I don't believe they've put out anything in about three months. Uh, they did the a, a series on the Assassins, yeah. and that was about Amazing. it. Amazing. All right, then. Um, well, uh, congratulations, um, uh, Brian. I kind of blew that one. Why don't we kick over to their final game recaps? I assume Michael goes first. The only reason there was a game at all was because for the second time in a row, I faced Brian Pullen on a final table and managed to seize the initiative. If that had not had happened, he would have tabled me in two rounds. Because I managed to go first, there was a close game where I made enough mistakes to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Against the caliber of player that Brian is, you have to play your best game, and it doesn't hurt to be able to roll sixes on command. In my final game, um, if the Tau went first, it was going to be a pretty easy easy win. Uh, my army could have really taken out about half of uh, Timpy's Necrons in the first turn. Um, so Timpy's best chance was to seize, and actually it was, it was really, uh, really exciting that he did seize and became a much tighter game. Uh, he had the firepower to down my army really in one turn. His army is super scary. Um, and really, I just had a few too many drones live on that first turn. So despite losing all my crisis in that first turn, I still had all my riptides in my commander. And uh, Timpy uh, accidentally, I think, forgot to up his invuln on his Tesseract Vault. And so in my first turn, I was able to down the Tesseract Vault 
uh, down one of the doom scythes, and from there it was a crazy tight game back and forth. We each lost one asset every turn, and uh, it was super close uh, the whole way through. You know, from the wordplay and the title of this GT to the the reveal of this incredible top table, I just went on a wonderful journey with this, and uh, and uh, thank you, gentlemen, and congrats to Brian for pulling it out. Look out for the bump. Tournament news. Aw, oh, yeah. Hosted by the Armchair Adventurer in Honolulu, Hawaii, Throne of War is the premier Hawaiian ITC event and has tried to be so for about four years now. And who better to tell us about this than the T.O., because that's what we usually do when we remember. Amory, coming up. So I actually had to check our Facebook page. We ran our first event back in December in 2015. We try to run events about once a month to build up the local competitive community. We have about half a dozen local players that regularly travel to tournaments on the mainland and the neighbor islands. Uh, most of our players are actually military, so they PCS here for three years and then they bounce out. Or if they're really lucky, they get to stay for another three years. So the player packet was 100% developed to try and make an exclusive product for our event to attract players from the mainland. After like 250 hours of development and design, the cards just happened to lay out perfectly in a 3x3 magic card sleeve sheet. I probably should have set up why he was talking about his pack. If you haven't looked at it, the uh, the the actual tournament pack for the Throne of War GT was awesome. It's newsworthy, and they had this dice that you roll, and it's got the different deployment maps on it with measurements. I would, I would say at this point it's probably the nicest player pack I've ever seen anyone produce, as well as player kit, right? Because everyone got a die uh, that attended, and everyone got the uh, the cards for that have all the secondaries uh, and I believe all the missions uh, on them. So it's, it's super well-designed. It's well put together. A, an amazing idea. Uh, these guys really uh, did a number at this event. Absolutely. Now, this year was special for the Throne of War as the great Pablo the Rhino Martinez roared his glorious head and declared that he would be taking one for the team and venturing to this desolate wasteland of Hawaii to promote our glorious hobby. Somehow, he managed to convince Chapter Tactics and in the finest hour's own Sean Morgan and Reese, Lord of the Nazgul Robbins, to also attend. In what would be a titanic run, one man would single-handedly lay waste to the entire Frontline Gaming Network team. We had heard whispered tales of this elderly wizard that lived high in the volcanic reaches, reaches of the Big Island, and they turned out to be true. A retired master of plastic men with a name that alone has laid low lesser men. And that name? Fred Fortman. Fortman! This absolute beast would rampage through both Pablo Martinez and the former king of men himself, Reese Robbins, before facing off in a grand clash against Sean Morgan at the final table. Val, do you want to hit up Sean's list for us? Be my pleasure to read the list to you readers. I'm getting cocky here. Sean Morgan ran uh, an airwing detachment, um, Eldari Craft Worlds, with uh, three Crimson Hunter Exarchs with two star cannons each. Um, he then ran an airwing detachment of Drukari, Cabal of the Black Heart, with three Razorwing Jet Fighters, uh, each with two Disintegrator Cannons. Um, and then finally, in his battalion detachment, he ran Craft Worlds. It was equipped with an Autox Skyrunner, 
um, who is running a Banshee mask, which is fun. Shirkin Pistol, Twin Shirkin Catapult, a Farseer, a Warlock. Under the troop section, he had three units of eight Storm Guardians for that very lovely OCD appearance on the page. And then finally, uh, five, five Wave Serpents. Um, three of them had uh, twin scatter, laters, <laughs> scatter lasers, and two of them had twin... Uh, they're loaded the exact same, but for some reason written differently. That's all I got. Are they? What am I? What am I seeing here? Well, it's uh, the magic of what uh, uh, got loaded into BCP, my friend. For some reason, uh, three of them listed as shuriken cannon twin scatter, and the two of them listed as twin scatter twin shuriken catapult, which are a little bit different. Uh, what? But two of them are cheaper. Twin shuriken catapult, yes. not cannon. Got it. You got it. You got wow. it. You got there. My brain cleaved in two there. Listen, when you read a list that's as cancerous as this, it happens to the best of us. Cause is hallucination. <laughs> but in all seriousness, uh, yes, this is a terrifying list uh, brought by our very own Sean Morgan. He's run uh, multiple variations of late trying to get down exactly what works for him. And uh, like, needless to say, this has definitely done so. Um, he has put up a couple of really good performances of late in a number of big tournaments. And, uh, I mean, getting to the top table at, uh, Hawaii's biggest event is now one of them. Why don't we go to the Velvet Glove himself and find out what he has to say? I think the thing a lot of people don't realize about the flyer list is that it's absolutely possible to kill the six flyers. There are plenty of shooting armies or even melee armies that have the punch to do it. The problem is killing the six flyers and also killing whatever else is on the ground, which is where the five wave serpents come in in my version. I don't really have a whole lot else going, but with five wave serpents and six flyers, it's basically impossible to get rid of both of them. And if you kill the wave serpents, I'm probably tabling you. And if you kill the flyers, you don't do anything to my scoring potential. So it presents a real kind of horns of a dilemma for many armies to get caught in. The MVP for the weekend was, no doubt, hand down the Wave Serpents. They're obviously ridiculously tough, and like everyone is sort of aware of that, and they have that once-per-game smite that they can do. But a lot of people underestimate how much firepower they actually put out. With 11 shots per with the scatter lasers up top, the Wave Serpents are surprisingly terrifying to most infantry units, and allows me to clear out a lot of stuff that would otherwise kind of clog up the board, hold objectives, and get in the way. And between that and controlling your enemy's movement, blocking charge lanes, and tying units down, the Wave Serpent is just an incredibly quick, incredibly versatile scoring unit. That was a nice little rundown on the Wave Serpent. And of course, if anyone out there has not gotten enough of, uh, of Sean's uh, recap, there, I'm sure he'll go into much greater detail on both his own show, The Finest Hour, and probably on Chapter Tactics next week, because Pablo, I believe, is still tanning on a beach somewhere. Yep, he's uh, definitely living some kind of horrible nightmare. So who was the other half of that top table? Well, uh, we, we already kind of really talked him up. Mm -hmm. The elderly wizard himself, mm -hmm. Fred Fortman. Mm -hmm. He ran a uh, Adeptus Astartes mixed spearhead detachment. The majority of, the, of this uh, list is going to be ultramarines. However, he did take a unit of four servitors that were black templars. Um, he brought a tech marine. The aforementioned four servitors, a relic whirlwind Scorpius, three predators, 
And then he brought a second Ultramarine Spearhead, this with another Tech Marine uh, with two server harnesses instead of one that lets gives him access to the Plasma Cutter and the Flamer. He then had three units of three Eliminators and two Repulsors with twin LAS Cannons as the, uh, the main uh, option instead of the uh, secondary Onslaught Cannon. And then lastly, he had Mr. Rubber Booty himself, Row Booty Gullyman. True or false, this list gives you a little bustle in your hedgerow. Uh, true. This is an extremely similar list to one that did very well at LVO, uh, Aaron Towler's uh, Ultramarines list. I don't want to cut you off too far, uh, too quickly, but couldn't have been a better segue. Here's Mr. Fortman talking about his list. Hi, Val. This is Fred. Uh, the wife and I are about to leave on a 13-hour journey back to Chicago from Hawaii. Uh, answer to your first question, anything special about your list? Uh, my list is uh, un uh, abashedly stolen from Aaron Toller last July before the ATC. He made up the Bobby G two repulsors, three predator list that I stole from him. Um, I added uh, nine eliminators just for this uh, tournament, just because I have an unhealthy fear of psychers standing behind plague bears. I didn't run into that, but it uh, helped me out a lot in my game four against Reese when I was able to take out all of his uh, buffing psychers so the Bulgren weren't as scary. Well, of course, in this list, Bobby G is the MVP. Everybody works on uh, God mode whenever they're within six inches of him. You can really see the power drop off if anybody wanders away from uh, the Big Daddy. Uh, he is actually the reason the list even works, to be honest. That's a, that's a very important lesson from Fred Foreman. Don't wander away from Big Daddy. So these two gentlemen, of course, they come to a, uh, a clash at the top table. Fred does wind up winning, but I believe they draw it out, do they not? Yes. So while Fred did win it all based on battle points, as he absolutely lawnmowered his other four opponents, uh, in terms of battle points accrued at least, um, he and Sean ended up playing to the draw. All right, so let's hear them talk about the final game and how that came to be. I knew the game with Fred wasn't going to be easy. The Space Marines are way better than most people give them credit for, but unfortunately I had some things go wrong later on that really kind of turned it against me. The first part of the game was pretty much exactly like I thought it'd be. We killed each other's firepower and kind of stripped away most of the important units, leaving him with just one or two tanks and me with just the wave serpents and a handful of troops. But at that point, he didn't really have anything else left to kill and that meant I was trying to chase around his characters with two-up saves and small isolated squads hiding in buildings, which is where the terrain really ended up helping him quite a lot, as I just couldn't get any kills on the final three turns of the game, so that put me down almost six points, and that was obviously quite painful. In my final game uh, against Sean, uh, after turn one, I was able to go first, and I only dropped one flyer uh, with all of his defensive play and uh, his great setup. After only dropping one flyer, I thought to myself, I just have to try to get as many points as I can to finish in second place um, because he's going to get this game. Uh, and it was looking like that up until around turn four. Uh, he wasn't able to, to kill anything anymore, so I kept getting uh, kill one, kill more, and we kept tying on holding over and over again. 
so I started getting more points, but I just thought that meant I was I was guaranteed second place. It wasn't until after the game when he actually counted it up. Uh, the first time he counted it up, I was up by one. I said, count it up again, because we were both kind of tired and uh, were making mistakes. And so we counted it up a second time, and then we got to an even tie, which was the, the correct score. So once more, a big congrats to Fred Fortman, the Sausage King of Chicago. Watch your head, Pete. Bump coming. Tournament news. The Master City, not a major. ITC format, 43 players. To quote the famous CBS sportscaster Jim Nance, Augusta, Georgia, known for azalea trees, southern hospitality, and the most elite golf course on the planet, conveniently located next door to a Hooters. Though it seems Reconstruction may not have quite made it there just yet, Augusta was the latest home of a Brohammer event. This time, a grueling five-round-in-a-day Ironman format. The conditions were so spartan and hardcore that they didn't even use terrain in the first round. Just a bunch of empty Warhammer boxes. Seriously, the guys with the terrain showed up like 90 minutes after the first round was supposed to start? Guess Guess they they should have hired hired them Duke Duke boys. boys. Okay, over to the T.O. Hi, this is Brent from Augusta Wargaming and Brohammer. Um, we were interested in running an Ironman because we are literally in the middle of some of the most competitive regions in the South, to include the general staff, Brohammer, and a couple other honorable teams. Um, I, myself, part of Brohammer and Augusta Wargaming. I'm in the first and third team currently. We thought it would really help push the players to, you know, an absolute limit of what they're capable of in one day. Um, but, uh... You know, we we had a small hiccup at the beginning with the terrain debacle, but we were able to come together as a team and get it fixed by round two, which was um, really what I think saved the day because we were able to keep a calm composure and just try to just fix the whole issue, which I'm pretty sure the free beer, thanks to Savannah River Brewing Company, helped out quite a bit. But, um, no, I love the event, and we plan on doing it again next year. Yeah, I think uh, I think free beer will smooth over most things, especially that early in the day and with oh for sure like fifteen hours of forty k coming back. So after one million consecutive hours of forty k in the grueling southern heat, only two noodle armed and exhausted players remained: Richard Siegler and Cody Seltz. Now we've heard from Richard just last week, and Cody's list should come as no surprise to anyone at this point. So um, why don't we just cut straight to the fellas and their breakdowns? I like it. Over to Siegler. My most valuable units were once again the CID commanders. Um, Most people think the Riptides are the main threat in the list, but it is actually the commanders who do most of the damage throughout the games. Um, They are just insanely efficient and are effective against almost every target from infantry to super heavy. Um, And they don't require many CPs to operate, which is why I scaled down from a 10 CP list to a 6 command point list. Honestly, I don't find that players are really that ready for the the Disco Lord list all that well at all. Um, It's damage output, it's range abilities, it's ability to close gaps and get on target very, very quickly are beyond basically anything else in the meta right now. It it borders like on Yunari Shining Spears back when they were still good. Um, With the proper application, you can put two Disco Lords and Mortarian uh, into your opponent's lines in a very, very short fashion. Um... Especially with the ability to, you know, with the extra Warlord trait from the Specialist Attachment giving them a plus two to their movement, advance and charge for one CP, it's pretty incredible. Um, 
Second, uh, I, I don't think people are ready for it, and I don't think they're going to be ready for it for a while. It counters a large chunk of the meta. Um, also, uh, let's see here. Uh, in terms of the MVP unit for the weekend, it str I struggle to, to divide between Mortarian and the Disco Lords, because the Lords of Gordon do an Right, so my first one actually cut off halfway through, but uh, I struggle between the Disco Lords and Mortarian because uh, the Disco Lords are able to dish out just an absolutely ridiculous amount of punishment. They have a bunch of attacks that their varying profiles can kill basically anything they run into, especially if it's Imperium. Um, triggering Flawless Host, uh, the extra attack from Flawless Host and Death of the False Emperor on fives, fourth of the Presence is insanity. They shred through everything they come in contact with. Um, but the list does need Mortarian. Mortarian absorbs an absolutely blistering amount of firepower, and it's just very hard to pull him off the field. Um, he's not necessary for the list, but people have the same philosophy about him they have about Tau, where people can't, don't think they can charge Tau, so they just don't. Well, people think Mortarian has to die, so that's all they shoot. But then the rest of my list gets to function. They don't shoot the Plague Bears, which means the Plague Bears get their buffs up. They don't shoot the Disco Lords, which means the Disco Lords are free to move around the map. So I would say in terms of damage output, the Disco Lords, and in terms of survivability, Mortarian. That was two MVPs, but we'll let it slide because this list is uh, certainly got a lot of valuable players in it. For sure. Just like all of these uh, Lord Discordant lists that you're hearing about this week, last week, and probably um, into the at least near future, um, it's definitely... The grim, grim darkness of the far future. The grim darkness of the of the far future. Um it, it's they're all about massive threats that you and you can't deal with all of them before the two or three get into your lines. That's pretty fair enough. And also, I just want to double back a little bit back to Mr. Ziegler. I just want to point out Tau players that there are two top talent lists, both heavily featuring cyclic ion blasters. Turns out a lot of strength eight shots is good. Yep, and wouldn't you know it, these two tabletop titans, sputtering and swerving to a finish, wound up in a daggum tie. Would you look at that? Let's hear how they explain themselves. The key turning point in the final game against Cody Salt's Chaos List was the ability to use Monka to move a Riptide in position to uh, take out the, the Contorted Epitome, and the fact that Mortarian, even with all the buffs, was unable to do enough mortal wounds to take out Riptide uh, because I had enough shield drones and the 3-up invuln on him to get rid of the normal damage. My final game against Richard Siegler, um, it was a hell of a match. It was very, very tight. I knew early uh, that against Tau I was going to be drained of resources very, very quickly. So the whole strategy I had was just to get in his face as fast as I could, kill as many smaller units as I can, and soften up larger targets. Uh, to stay ahead on Killmore. So basically I was killing his two and three man drone units and then I direct the rest of my firepower into softening up the larger drone units down to like three or four so they're easy kills next time. So I was able to stay ahead by killing more and holding more, getting my Plague Bearers on his priority objective. The turning point was when I ran out of things for him to shoot. Um, I had one unit of Plague Bearers left and a building on the far side of the map. Uh, and at that point it was just can Siegler close the distance in terms of the points differential between us because after about turn three he was getting... Hold, then hold more, then kill more, um, and just starting to catch up after that. So it was really entropy at that point. The turning point was when I, I ran out of steam. I ran out of plague bears to absorb shots, and all my characters are vulnerable. Well, all right. Thank you for those uh, those recaps. Um, much sound and fury signifying nothing in the end. Who did wind up on top? Was it Siegler? Yes. Yeah, so I believe it was actually uh, Mr. 
Cody Soltz that won on points. battle points, okay. but I need to verify real quick. You should probably figure this out. It was Siegler. It was Siegler. It I'm sorry. They both ended up uh, at 4-0-1, but uh, Siegler did have the more battle points to break the tiebreaker. And speaking of ties... i got to ask you, uh, before we set this up, I just, I just want to ask you, Peter, how yes. how rare is a tie? Because now we've seen two top tables tie in, in one week yes. of action. So uh, how rare is a tie? Um, ties are extremely rare. So I've collected data from uh, about 11,000 tournament games now. And I've had 285 ties recorded. Some, you know, whispers out there, um, you know, whatever nationality type of whispers, uh, about this preponderance of ties. Now, I've seen some some conversations about this online, and I, I'm honestly, I'm swayed by, by his uh, explanations how it's happened, and that uh, it just seems to be happening to him at a higher rate than everyone else. How do you feel about it? Um, you know what? I've, I've, uh, it's been brought to my attention a number of times how many draws he's had uh, by uh, several different people, and to be honest, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility for someone to get this many draws. Um, and suffice to say, that's really all there is to it for me. Yeah. Um, there's a bell curve when it comes to these things, and there's for every you know person that's had one tie, two ties, three ties, there's going to be at least one that has four, regardless of. Uh, of how things go. Yeah, and I know he loves doing it just to drive you nuts. So let's uh, let's pass it off because I did pose him the question. Hey, bud, what's up with all the ties? As for the three ties that I've had over the last few weeks, um, the practical concerns uh, or the practical reality is that by the time you get to rounds four and five at a major tournament, a lot of people have dropped, and so. When you're playing at top table, there are often people watching most, um, if not all, of the game. Um, and the second factor is that throughout the, the score sheet is always public knowledge. And I know after I finish games early, I like to walk around to the other top tables and just have a glance at the score sheet and see how the games are going. A lot of those games came down to one or two small rolls, like against Rich Martin at Carolina. Um, I needed a three-up re-rollable on my Manka advance to be able to snipe his Warlord. And that draw took us both out of the running to win Carolina, unfortunately. So there you have it. I mean, I'm swayed personally, but I just, you know, I, I think I think if he gets another tie, either he's going to flip the table or the mob chasing him will flip the table. So I, with that said, how about another bump? Tournament news. Mm, explosions. I love it. And finally, on the docket of events that actually mattered this week, we have the Windy City GT. 28 players, ITC format, deep in the heart of Rosalie, Illinois, at Grognard Games. Several players would duke it out for supremacy in the actual heartland of America. And try as they might, one man refused to let them run a GT without posting their lists for the world to see. And that man lost his innocence that day, as little did he know the Warhammer community does not take kindly to small details being missing from moderately sized events involving players that people don't necessarily see eye to eye with all the time. And, you know, in future, when I'm looking to get people to post their lists, I'm just going to ask the TO, because we're going to introduce you to perhaps one of the biggest G's of all the G's, Gary. 
First of all, thanks for the invite to be on the 40K Stat Show. It passes my time whenever I drive into work whenever you guys put stuff out. So uh, on the background of the event, well, this is the first time we had the Windy City GT, but I've ran two previous GTs. And the reason for running it is uh, we don't really have a GT size that's directly in our area. I mean, you've got Michigan and surrounding ones, but right in Chicago, it's Adepticon and not a lot of GTs. So that's why I'd ran that one. So... Um, they met it in that area, uh, Imperium, Imperium, and throw in a little bit more Imperium to go with that. Uh, every now and then, uh, Justin Curtis will show up with Chaos and beat up on everybody. But uh, mostly it's uh, Imperium with a uh, splash of Chaos running around. Uh, me being a Gene Stiller Cold player, I'm one of the few Xenos guys that are around. Orcs are showing up occasionally out of there. So that's the meta, Imperium. Um, oh, another note on the meta from the area, most of the players are from... Um, Chicagoland area. We get a couple that come down from Wisconsin. We used to have a guy drive out from Iowa just to play in RTTs because we used to have one a month. And so it's typically the same faces that you see. Uh, pajama Pants, Justin Curtis, Aaron Towler, uh, myself, Jeremy Applebaum, Tyler White, um, all of those really good players. So winning an RTT here is uh, like playing in the uh, top 10 sometimes at a GT. It's not the easiest one, but it's really good. I used to laugh and say I have to go out of state to win a game. And, you know, uh, given, you know, the crowd of people who uh, who tend to, you know, play in GTs in his neck of the woods, I thought I'd ask him a pointed question about that, given the outcry on my personal Facebook page. T.O.ing in the land of uh, pajama pants and Team Happy. Uh, it's entertaining, as always, I'll say on that one. Typically, there's not a lot of um, disagreements that go on. You know, you get to your occasional chess clock and too much time or this or that but nothing that's uh, too outlandish um all of them are very high competitors and um but uh tmr is generally pretty easy going to go along with that because they all know the rules or whatnot and there's not a lot of fiascos that go on around here so being a to in a team land in the land of uh java pants and team happy is actually fairly easy being a to in the land of Jamma Pants and Team Happy is actually fairly easy. Gary, the chillest dude on the planet. And that sounds like an excellent uh, title for a movie or a book. <laughs> Absolutely. I and champion. So uh, I think we've made some reference. Uh, uh, collect his uh, check. Uh, PJ Pants. Alan Pajama. Impossible. Uh, PJ Pants, we'll call him. Um, he, uh, we'd like to wax political about the next event and all the players that attended, but this podcast has already been about four hours long, and there really is only one thing you need to know. PJ Pants won it all, and he won it with Orcs. This is two weeks in a row with Orcs winning a GT, and he has, uh, and he is all in on telling you all about it. Actually, first, he's going to actually tell us where he went. I personally, when I first started playing 40K, he was the ITC champion, uh, collected his check, and then he sort of just vanished in the mist. So I said, PJ, Pants, Alan, where the hell did you go, buddy? Hey Val, so um, where have I been? So after the ITC win, I took some time off as a newlywed, got married the same night in Vegas, and uh, been traveling a lot since then, and um, just focusing on a couple key events, one of which uh, is Adepticon. Um, it's a big deal for me and my, uh, my team, Chicago Kamikazes. We put a lot of effort into Adepticon teams every year. Uh, we come close most of the time, and we've, uh, we've won the last two years, and uh, Took some time off from 40K to play Age of Sigmar, getting third in ITC, and uh, 
just winning at SoCal and the boys and doing well at Michigan and some of the other events. And at LVO, lost to Pashby, uh, who's, who's killing it right now. And, um, and it was a really close game. So um, just, just getting back in the game now with Orcs because I've, uh, I've been playing them for a long So before we actually let him talk about his list, I really would like to read this list out because, um, you know, I, I think we, by the end of this, this segment, we should have a good nickname for this list because I think it's genius. It's, it's creative genius. Well, PJ Pants, what he brought to the Windy City GT. It's a Death Skulls Battalion with a Big Mech on Warbike with a KFF, Custom Force Field and Custom Mega Blaster. He had a Big Mech with Shock Attack Gun. He had three units of 10 Gretchen in that. Then he had a Bad Moons Battalion with a War Boss, a Weird Boy, two units of 30 Orc Boys with Sluggas and Choppas, and a unit of 30 Gretchen, as well as 15 Tank Busters. And then he topped it all off with a Freebooters Detachment with Captain Badruck, a Weird Boy, a unit of 24 Gretchen, and two units of 10 Gretchen, 10 Flash Kits, four Smasher Guns, and two Tractor Cannons. Absolutely delightful. Inspired unit choices. Uh, no Ludas. You know, going all in on uh, free boot boot of flash gants. I mean, it's a ballsy choice uh, made by a ballsy player. Why don't I? Uh, why don't we talk to him directly about you know why he came up with these incredible list selections? Essentially, the way the list works is it just has a bunch of different tools, uh, which can all go off on a different game. Um, and when, when one of them does go off, it's, it's pretty good. If multiple uh, units you know, do well and roll well, then it gets really interesting really quick. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of the, essentially the way the game goes. Um, the final game against Elliot, who's a fellow uh, kamikaze and uh, from a local perspective, kamikaze and from a national perspective, part of uh, Gentleman Gaming, um, he, uh, he was a great, great person to play at the last round. But I just played Justin Curtis right before him, who had the exact same list. So it, I kind of had a practice game um, against the same army. So that was that was a good advantage for me going into the final. Mustn't have been trying to read his list on BCP. And then, uh, you know, you're not going to believe, you're not going to believe who his MVP is. Just wait. It's actually hilarious. So MVP of my current list is uh, it's probably going to be the Runt Herd. Um, I love putting him out there. No one wants to waste any powers on him. He's got four wounds, so he's kind of... A little bit more difficult to kill, even if you're playing Zinch. Um, he keeps my screens alive so that people can't get to things that matter. And uh, he makes sure that I don't lose too many grats on uh, morale. Uh, he also allows me to be really uh, defensive with my war boss, keep my war boss a little bit back, don't waste him on morale control, um, and then be able to counter strike anything that hits my front screen with a uh, move and run from the war boss. Um, so I really, really like uh, having the run herd in there. I think he really uh, won me a couple games by uh, not losing too many grots. So before um, before we sign off for the night, I just wanted to to, to you know, tee up PJ because I mean uh, another orc player out in the meta. I'm not sure if you've heard of him, uh, Peter Stephen Pamprine. Have you heard of this guy? Never heard of this guy. Um, I mean, he he sounds like a has been at best. You know, but he might have done something, you know, last calendar you know, a year, year ago. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe six months ago. Whatever. You know, it's um, a minor player on the scene at this point, especially in the in the frame of reference of orcs. So PJ wanted to take the chance to to uh, to sort of clear the air on this topic. Val, I find this last question a little offensive. Is Stephen Pamperine a better orc player than me? I guess this is because he claims to have something to do with my list, which is completely false. Steven Pamprine has done absolutely nothing with orcs. 
He's come close at a couple of tournaments and basically shit the bed before he got to the end. I've won War Games Con. I've won Broadside Bash. I've won Adepticon teams. I've even gone to Europe and played Orcs in Poland during the days of Lash, and I still won with Orcs. So I don't even know why this is a question. The truth is, Stephen Pamperine, a.k.a. Bilbo Baggins, a.k.a. Sorry, Brad, I forgot your whole army, has not done anything with Orcs. Yeah, Stephen Pamperine apparently didn't actually write that list. Totally didn't write that list that PJ Pants just won with. <laughs> that's uh, it's good to hear. I'm glad that uh, it's something that's completely his and his alone, and that and that no one helped him with. No one gave him any ideas. And nope. I think with that, Peter, is is there anything else that we need to cover? Okay, so I normally don't do this. Um, but we did it last week, so I guess we do normally do it, now that I think about it. Um, we have one more event we should at least mention. Mm. Uh, the War in the Warp GT, War in the Warp 2. It happened w- over in uh, Northampton, UK. 1,750 points, 30 players. So it is an ITC GT uh, based on all of their parameters, just not one that I care about because it's 250 points too shy of what I like. Um Anyway, it, it still, you know, it, it did have a lot of, uh, or a, a good portion of uh, UK's quality players in attendance. Uh, Team Draco was there, Simon Prittis, uh, Conrad Barkowitz, uh, a few other big names. And uh, it should come as no surprise at this point, but somehow Alex Harrison won yet another event with another faction, uh, this time bringing primarily Harlequins in a 1,750-point list. I believe he had 1,400 points in Harlequins. So yes. uh, big shout-out to Alex. I, I know we, we tried to get some uh, interviews uh, from him, and we may have gotten those voice clips, but we're running a little long here, and it was only 1,750 points, guys. you gotta you got to bulk that out. You know what? If there's something that Alex Harrison's good at, it's bulking up. <laughs> that's and true. That's true. And winning the shit out of Warhammer tournaments in the UK. Some someone else win a tournament. Where's Manny Chima? Manny Chima? Yeah, where's this guy? Oh, he's behind a paywall. I bet. Oh, I wish oh, I had an instant damn. rap air horn sound effect to end <laughs> that show. What a note to go out on. Talking trash from beyond an ocean. Love it. Um, yeah. Any closing thoughts? No, just once again, thanks everybody for listening. This is episode number four, so we're officially doing it. That's a streak. And it's a streak. We're on the streak. So thanks everyone for tuning in. Big thanks to BCP uh, for everything they do to help make this uh, show possible, as well as uh, Down Under Pairings, Tourney Keeper, all of those uh, people that run random Excel spreadsheets and send them to me. Love it all. Normally we'd say thank you to Frontline Gaming, but they're on vacation in Hawaii, so I don't think they need our thanks this week. I think they're doing just fine. However, you could still subscribe to their Patreon page. Yeah, I'd be okay with that. Subscribe to the ITC Patreon. Chapter Tactics Patreon's okay, too. Uh, send them messages telling them that you think they smell nice and they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's really all I have to say. Awesome. Well, without further ado, Peter. Bye-bye. This has been 40K Stat Center, a presentation of the Frontline Gaming Podcast Network. Like what we do? Subscribe to and rate us on YouTube and wherever podcasts can be found. Join the conversation. Follow 40K Stat Center on Facebook. You can also support the show directly by joining the Chapter Tactics Patreon and competitive 40K in general via the ITC Patreon or by grabbing a subscription to BCP.
Guess they should have hired them to <laughs> Okay. Okay. One more time. All right. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs>